Imagine with me uh, just for a second. And for many of you, you've actually done this, and so the first part of this won't be imaginative at all for you. But, but imagine with me, if you would, uh, that you're heading up to the mountains uh, with some friends or family. And again, many of you have done that. Uh, you're going up to camp for a few days, and you get all the necessary stuff. Uh, you, you make the necessary plans. You go buy the food. You go buy all the stuff that you're going to need uh, to make that trip and enjoy it. And if there's not much traffic, you probably enjoy the drive up into the mountains because it's beautiful, um, especially for those of us who spend most of our time down here. That drive is beautiful. Um, you get up there, you set up camp, you're with your friends, you're with your family, you're enjoying it, and you're doing the things that you like, whether it's reading or playing music or just talking and hanging out, whatever. Um, and then, uh, as, as a lot of us do, or at least as I do, if I'm up in the woods with friends or with family, I want to spend some time by myself with nature. Uh, I want to be alone with creation. I want to ponder. I, I just want to be for, for some stretch of time. So imagine you're up on this camping trip, and a few mornings in, you decide it's time to do that. You've had breakfast. You wander off into the woods, and, and you just want to be for a little while. And, and that's what you do. You, you find a spot that you like, you sit down, or you pace a little bit, and you see the view is beautiful, the area is beautiful, it's peaceful, etc. And, and here's the bad news. Suddenly, uh, in this hypothetical, and kind of out of nowhere, uh, you get attacked by a predator of any kind. Use your imagination. Take your pick. Uh, bear, mountain lion, uh, moose... Whatever, whatever thing you, you fear, that uh, you get attacked by this predator, and it surprises you, obviously. And that first blow uh, was not something you expected, and so now you're injured, um, bleeding more specifically, fairly heavily, but you don't have time to deal with the wound yet because <laughs> the predator is still there. Right? So the, it, it has reared its head, it's looking back at you, and so now you've got a decision to make. A very real one. And, and depending on your personality, depending on how, you, how big you are relative to the animal, that's going to determine what you're doing. For some of you, you're going to run. For some of you, you're going to try to climb a tree. For some of you, you're going to cry for help. For some of you, you may try to fight. You know, it just kind of depends on, on who you are, and it's probably different than what your neighbor would do in that situation. But whatever it is, you have to decide, so that's what you do. You start crying for help, or you start running, or you start getting ready to fight. And that begins to go down. And if you do survive this little escapade, it's not going to be a whole lot longer before that wound is going to start to hurt and cause problems. And if you do survive, once that adrenaline high or that adrenaline rush starts to wear off, the whole complexion of the trip has changed. Obviously, the trip's over. You're headed to the hospital. Well, uh, that word picture is the working metaphor for how I am describing my home church right now. Because uh, two weeks ago, uh, it was announced that our lead pastor and one of our worship leaders had an emotional, if not a physical affair. And I've since learned, you don't know this until you go through it, I've since learned that uh, there's a very similar adrenaline-infused response from the corporate body that is the church. For the first few weeks, so we're two weeks in now, for the first few weeks, we were hurting and in pain. 
But there was a bunch of energy and intention. People have been meeting together and discussing it and praying and asking questions. They've been engaged. Frankly, we've been acting like the church, and it's been kind of cool. But that's starting to wear off now. Uh, and I, I experienced it this morning in our, in our worship gathering. The response is changing. Things are starting to slow back down. And, and they're, they're starting to go back to normal as much as they can under the circumstances. But the wound is still there. And it still needs tending. And I know you guys have recently finished uh, with the book of Ephesians, which I pray that God has used in your hearts and in your minds. So I have been asked, and this, this conversation was had uh, a month or two ago, I've been asked to help hold down the fort uh, just for this week uh, to help with the transition to whatever the inevitable next series is. And the transitional topic that I was asked to address was the relationship between grace and truth. The relationship between grace and truth, because it's something that uh, I know is on the minds of people here. Um, and notice I described that as one singular idea, the idea, uh, the, it's one singular idea because in Jesus, which we'll get to, they, are, they exist hand in hand. But in practice and in the human experience, grace and truth, or the, the more colloquial f- phrase that we use now is justice, Grace and truth or grace and justice are often placed at odds with one another. Uh, one another. And, and so like that scenario in the woods, a lot of this depends on your personality, as well as uh, the zeitgeist or the, the cultural trends of the day. So take any hot-button lightning rod issue of our day, and it will reveal something to you about yourself as well as our culture. So just a couple of examples. Immigration. Okay, so think about yourself as you think about immigration as a concept. Are you prone to grace or are you prone to truth or justice, as it were? And depending on how you respond to that, to whom are you prone to show grace and to whom are you prone to show justice or require justice? LGBTQ issues, are you prone to grace or are you prone to justice? And to whom are you prone to those things? Women's rights in the Me Too movement. Kneeling during the national anthem. Take any of the variety of hot-button issues, and it will reveal something to you about your heart based on where you're inclined. Okay? And so what my church is currently going through is, likewise, revealing a lot of things about a lot of different people. The response to the the pastor has... um, um, to put it mildly, it's been negative, right? There are a lot of people that are angry with him. He was a mar- is slash was a married man. And there are people who want to hit him where it hurts. And that's the, that's the reality. The, the response to the pastor has been negative. Interestingly, the response to the worship leader or the choir director has been quite a bit more mixed, Okay, every church, just like every person, because a church is a body, it's an organism, it's not just an organization, every church tends to be prone to lean toward grace or to lean toward truth. And so you'll get some churches that lean very heavily on God's grace. Uh, the, the, The catchphrase is, come as you are. Right, and that will be the mantra of churches. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, of course. 
But they'll lean heavy onto the grace side. And some churches will lean heavy onto the truth side of things. So what does Jesus save you into? What does it actually look like to be a Christian? And these inclinations tend to get revealed in the moments like what my church is going, currently going through. And I suppose, fittingly enough, Scum's got some things that she's going through as well. Okay, so I would like to address that specifically together. What does grace and truth, how does that influence, based on Scripture, what we think about feelings of hurt and betrayal that inevitably happen? And so we're going to cling to Scripture as we ought. Um, You see, at the beginning of the book of John, which is where we're going to be in a minute, it says, and the Word, this is about Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And a few verses later, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we know... That Jesus is the ultimate expression of grace and truth in their fullness. So here's what we tend to do. Uh, we tend to, if, if we're not putting them at odds, we tend to think you've got to have balance. You've got, you've got to have balance in the relationship between grace and truth. But that's not strictly biblical either. Jesus is representative of the full expression of grace and truth, which doesn't mean 50% grace, 50% truth. It means at the same time, 100% grace and 100% truth. So we're going to use a a very specific example. My church uh, was just betrayed by some of their leaders, deeply wounded by some of their leaders. Um, And and you'll find out a little bit more about that here in a minute. Um, So we're going to look at a time from Jesus' life where he responded specifically to being betrayed or hurt by one of his closest friends. And so a little bit of context before we read. The verses will be up on the screen in just a minute. Where we're going to pick it up is at the end of Jesus' ministry. So um, as his ministry was coming to a close... Uh, Jesus revealed that one of his disciples, you've all probably heard his name, Judas, would turn him over to the authorities to have him killed. And so in response to that, in the same time frame, one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, gets all, he gets his uh, panties in a bunch. He starts getting nervous. No, no, no. I don't like where this is going. I will do anything that needs to be done over against any of the rest of these fools. I will do anything that needs to be done to make sure that you are loved and served and cared for. Even if it means I need to be killed for it. And Jesus, <laughs> uh, fairly gently at first, tells him that in reality, uh, Peter would actually deny him multiple times before Jesus was killed. And of course, again, Peter, in his brashness, vehemently denies this. That will not happen. And it's uh, not good odds to bet against the God of the universe. And Jesus was right. After being arrested um, and taken to a sham trial, somebody notices Peter and remembers that he was with Jesus and calls him out. And Peter denies having anything to do with Jesus. And that just sucks. Having a close friend leave you out on a limb on your own, especially in a time of great emotional and spiritual need, that betrayal just sucks. There's no other way around it. And some of you, many of you maybe, have experienced this to some extent or another in your life. Okay? You've experienced deep hurt at the hands of another person. So now, 
with that as the groundwork, turn with me, if you have a Bible, or look up on the screen. Uh, we're going to be John chapter 21, verse 15. And so this is right after Jesus has gone through the process. Right? He's been killed, he's been buried, and he has risen again, and he's making public appearances. He's starting to talk to people again. And so this is the first co- specific conversation he's had with Peter in verse 15. And here's what it says. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, so this particular topic of grace and truth and the relationship therein is relevant at every church and in every person. And I know it's relevant here because I've had conversations with the leadership of this church. And I know that this dialogue exists in your midst. And I've, I've even heard, because uh, I've, I've worshipped here, I don't just come to preach. And, and oftentimes, after sermons get preached in this church, I will hear, whether it's firsthand or secondhand, I will hear, that message didn't have much grace. Or I will hear, I'm not sure if that was true. I've, I've heard that in the, in the, in the ranks here. Okay, but the former of those, the idea that, uh, that that message or that idea didn't have much grace is more likely because of the nature of Scum's vision, which is a beautiful, God-given, Holy Spirit-empowered vision. But because of that, this church will naturally be bent toward grace. So, real quick, want to define those terms, just so we're on the same page, so you know what I'm talking about when I say these things. And, and these definitions are taken straight from the words in the original Greek, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, that were used to describe Jesus. Okay? So that idea for grace, objectively, it just means that which causes favorable regard. Which, just simply, means getting something you don't deserve. Or giving something that somebody doesn't deserve. That's grace. Truth, I found a great quote in an old lexicon, says, is, is the reality lying at the basis of an appearance, the manifested, veritable essence of a matter, which just means the state or quality of being correct or right. Okay, so that's grace, receiving something you don't deserve, and truth the state or quality of being correct or right. And Jesus, as we saw, is the representative of the fullness of these two qualities at one time. Okay, and this matters because we see throughout the book of John that Jesus is God. That's, that's, it's, it's made, that case is made all throughout in beautiful and subtle ways in that book. Jesus is God. So the idea is 
that these that truth and grace, grace, the, the giving of things that aren't deserved, and truth, the quality or state of being right, are characteristics of the God of the universe. They are manifestations of who He is. They emanate from His personhood. So in the same way, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, um, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If you notice, that word is singular. The fruit, it's not fruits. It's fruit of the Spirit. Those things are all characteristics of the God of the universe. And, and we don't have enough time to go into this in great depth, but every human being is made in the image of God. Okay? So the things that are true about him and his character to a certain degree are necessarily true about us. Here's an example. God is creative. Right? God is creative. He designed the beauty and goodness of the universe around us. We are creative. Right? We like to make art. We like to make music. We like to make organizations. We like to build philosophies. We are creative because God is creative. And this is true whether, uh, whether you've been in church forever or this is your first time ever setting foot into a church. This is just your reality. Because you are made in the image of God, you manifest certain of his characteristics. So Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. And as beings made in his image, we have certain degrees of grace and truth in us, though imperfectly because of the fall. And again, this is true for all of us. So, back to the example from earlier. This pastor, the one that we just went through this with, he is the fourth pastor of our church. And guess what? All four of our pastors have had to resign for some kind of moral failure. We're batting a thousand so far. The last one um, happened in the late 80s. And our church nearly split in half because there were people ready to show the pastor the door, and there were others ready to defend him or try to fix it or even hide it. So, based on, and this is what we're going to spend uh, our few minutes together doing, based on how Jesus responds to Peter and Peter's betrayal, I want to know, for my church, and I want to know this for scum, when you are hurt, when my church is hurt by something, What does it look like to respond in the fullness of grace and truth? Not one or the other. Because you're going to be inclined to go one way or the other. So, now we're going to look back at the text. Jesus reveals what grace and truth looks like in this context. And it looks like four things. Four things pretty specifically. The first one you see in verse 15. It says... When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Pointing to the other disciples. And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Okay, so that first thing happens right away. They had just come back from fishing, and they they sat down to eat some of the fish and enjoy some breakfast, and Jesus dives right in. And I want to note a couple of things quickly. When, uh, so if you've been around church for a while, this, will, this might mean something to you. If you haven't, ignore this for 30 seconds. You will see some preachers emphasize the fact that in the Greek, the word love that gets used, and you see it multiple times, the word love that's, that gets used changes. 
And some preachers, some scholars think that that is consequential. I agree with other scholars that it's not. So we're not going to be discussing the significance of the individual definitions of love. We're going to talk about what Jesus does overall. Second thing I want you to note, look at, look at Peter's response in verse 15. Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This is just a few days after that stark brashness of, I will do anything that these other, these other guys won't do. I will go to the greatest lengths. And Jesus gives him an opportunity here. Do you love me more than these guys? Peter no longer goes, oh yeah. Notice what he appeals to. He doesn't appeal to his love. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So just a few days later, God used Peter's failure to humble him. It's kind of a beautiful just little picture there. And this interaction needed to happen in front of the rest of the disciples. Because Peter's original proclamation was in front of them. He threw them all under the bus. And then he denied Jesus in public. So publicly, at this breakfast, after it was done being eaten, Jesus addresses him in front of everyone. And Jesus makes it clear. If you love me, do what I've commanded you to do. In other words, I've forgiven you. And I'm restoring you to the place that I have for you. So the first application of grace and truth simultaneously in this instance is space for forgiveness and reconciliation. Space for forgiveness and reconciliation. And if you're a, if you're a person that's prone to aggressive truth, truthfulness, then this trait is going to press on you. And we've got some of these in my church. Like I said, there are people gunning for our pastor. And, and, and as a pastor, I, I, I can, I've recommended this to our people. Grieve. And it's okay to be angry at sin. So I'm not, I'm not saying there's not space to be angry, but the extent to which some of our people are mad at our pastor is revealing something about their hearts. Okay? So if you've been betrayed or wounded by somebody, which we all have at some point, and you lean toward truth, your instinct may be to have them get what they have coming. But that's not what we see from Jesus. He is willing to grant Peter something that Peter does not deserve. Again, that's grace. And what that looks like for me and you is going to be different. So for my church's pastor, forgiveness does not mean he gets to keep his job. Right? In fact, he has since resigned. But the call to forgive, to absorb that pain, and to give that pastor my love and our love as a church should still be on the table. Okay, so grace and truth in their fullness, in the face of hurt, leave space for forgiveness and reconciliation. That's first. Second, in verse 16, you can look back at it. He said, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus offers, and I'm, I'm just, you, you could pick any of the three times. Jesus offers something to Peter that he most assuredly needed. Clarity of calling. Clarity of calling. And that's the second example here of grace and truth lived out. Jesus had placed a directive on the life of Peter previously. And even though Peter failed, Jesus clarified his calling. Feed Tend Jesus' sheep. They're not Peter's sheep or any subsequent pastors. They are Jesus' sheep. 
Tend to them, care for them, guide them in understanding who God is. And so our recently resigned pastor needed, and I've had some of these conversations with him over coffee dates, he needed a reminder of the things that God has called him to. God has called him first and foremost to a relationship with himself. And we're going to come back to that. He's also called him to be a husband to his wife and a father to his children. God called him to be a friend to various people. God's called him to be on mission in his neighborhood and in the other spheres that he's in. All of those things precede his calling as a pastor. Our pastor needed reminders from Scripture and from other of God's people. He needed reminders of what his calling fundamentally is. And we all need this from time to time. So if you're married or if you're in a romantic relationship, you know what it's like to fail your significant other. I do it regularly with my wife. Uh, I'll respond poorly or react to something, whatever it is. And I will need in the core of my being a reminder that she still loves me and still holds me in the place that she committed to. And the reverse is also true. Same with your children if you have children. Same with your friends if you've got good friends. We need those reminders of our calling. And within Christianity, often it's really basic. We need reminders that God loves us, that He's for us. We need reminders that we're His children and that He's got good things for us. And again, depending on the situation, depending on the hurt, it can look different from place to place, time to time. All right, so the third thing. The third thing that grace and truth look like in their fullness in the face of hurt. Verse 17. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old and you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Okay. The third example of grace and truth in their fullness we see in Jesus' message, which was unapologetic. A message that is unapologetic. It did not cut any corners. And this is the factor that grace-leaning people tend to struggle with. Even though this stuff is literally grieving Peter, which you can translate to cause pain. So even though this stuff is causing Peter pain, Jesus continues. Jesus doesn't soften it in order to love or accept Peter as he is. Jesus Jesus loves him enough to guide him through where Peter is to a better place. So here's a question for your conscience to deal with. When was the last time that you loved somebody so much that you wanted better for them than they wanted for themselves and you communicated that to them. Because we see here that that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And all of this is intentional. On that fateful night when Peter denied Jesus, the most accurate that we can see based on Scripture is that he denied him three times. So the third time that Jesus asked him, do you love me? Peter was picking up what Jesus was throwing down. He was picking it up. It hurt. 
And Jesus doesn't even stop there. He then prophesies over Peter that he's going to be crucified as an older man. And I mean, this stuff rings true when you, when you get to know Jesus and you pay attention. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else. Jesus also talked about money more than anybody else. And those are two things you're not supposed to talk about in church anymore. Right? If you talk about hell, it's fear-mongering. If you talk about money, it's manipulative. So to be full of grace and full of truth in the face of hurt is to cling to the Word of God. To cling to the words of Jesus. To cling to the Bible unapologetically, even though it will inevitably grieve maybe you, maybe others, and it's going to reveal things about people. And this, this, friends, is the drum that I am going to be beating at Faith Church in the months to come. We are hurt and we need healing. Where can we find a source for healing? In the Bible. In Jesus Christ. Right? How are we going to move forward? How are we going to pick up the pieces of our broken leadership and our broken vision and get healthy as a church? Through the Bible. Through Jesus. And I know that this is a priority here. I know the Word of God is a priority here. But it bears repeating. If you want to be a church or a community that is marked by grace and truth, rather than one or the other, it happens by clinging to the Scriptures. By clinging to the Scriptures. Which brings us to the final one in verse 19. It says this, so this is referencing what was just said. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus finishes their interaction with the fourth example of grace and truth. And it's a call to relationship. A call to relationship. In the case of Peter, it was an affirmation of their relationship. When Jesus first met Peter years earlier, what was the thing that he told him? Follow me. So now, years after knowing him, years after seeing the ups and downs, seeing him at the, at the deepest of his failures, Jesus affirms it. Hey, follow me. And that is the message that is offered to every person across history and across the world. And it's the message that is needed now by our previous pastor and worship leader. Cling to Jesus. Follow him. And the beautiful thing about Peter's life is it's true at the beginning... When he first meets Jesus, the beginning of that process is relationship. Follow Jesus. Go where he goes. Listen to the things that he says. Engage with that. Years later, he knows Jesus now. He's been following Jesus. The solution to further growth and further development, continue to follow. Continue to be in relationship with Jesus. Continue to listen to the things that he has to say. And one of my, uh, I've, been, I've quoted this before, one of my favorite pastors in the world is known for saying this. The, the, the mark, the standard uh, for a mature, keyword mature, mature Christian isn't the one that reads the Bible all the time. It isn't the one that makes sure they make it to church every week. It's not the one that looks the part. The mark of a mature Christian is that when things go bad, when you're struggling with your sin... When the circumstances have changed for the worse, you run to God instead of from Him. So the fullness of grace and truth ultimately culminates in clinging to Jesus. 
And if you've got no background with that and you're new to church, that is what I implore you to do. If you want to live the human experience in the fullness of what it was meant to be, cling to Jesus. And if you've known, if you've been doing the church thing for years, you've been in and, in and out of Christianity or whatever, or, I mean, you, you've got lots of background in religion and you still, you want to grow, you want more from life, you want, you want to know where things are going, Cling to Jesus. And, and that's the good news, is that Jesus offers you himself. In other words, after he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, he offered to give you his very spirit. And that spirit is what then empowers you to be able to find the fullness of grace and truth. Okay, and so that's uh, at Faith Church, the church that I'm at. Um, this is, the, this is the message that we are repeatedly discussing among leadership and all the way down through Sunday mornings. Okay? If, we want, if we have any shot as a church, because we're already not the healthiest church, so not the healthiest church going through some dark stuff, if we don't cling to Jesus and cling to the Scriptures, that wound will inevitably end our life as a church. And the the glory of God will still go on. He'll still be at work. But if we desire to get healthy and see those wounds get fixed and see Christ glorified through faith church specifically, then this is what it looks like. It looks like responding in the ways that Christ would through the power of His Spirit. And so again, first, it looks like making space for forgiveness and reconciliation. Some of that's going to have to go on here. Okay. Second, it looks like confirming your calling and confirming the calling of the others around you. Third, clinging to the, the message, clinging to the gospel unapologetically. And then lastly, reaffirming our relationship with Jesus. Okay. That is grace and truth lived out in its fullness in the midst of hurt. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this night. Thank you uh, that you're honest with us. Uh, thank you. Uh, that you want good things for us. And thank you that when we are suffering, when we're in pain, when we don't know what to think, that you promise to be there with us. In our weakness, you promise to be strong. And so if we'll allow ourselves to hit that rock bottom, you promise to meet us there. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'll grant us that. That you'll grant us the, the desire to simply cling to you and the good things you have for us, the love that you have for us. Thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.